Welcome and thanks for listening to the Franklin Road Baptist Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen. This podcast consists of the preaching and teaching from the pulpit of Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Our prayer is that what you hear from this podcast will bless and encourage your Christian life as you seek to follow Him. We strongly believe there is no substitute for being a part of a thriving local church. If you're in the Murfreesboro area, we'd love to have you join us any Sunday or Wednesday. But if you are enjoying this preaching from somewhere else, we want to encourage you to find a Bible preaching church where you can grow and enjoy the fellowship of other Christians. If you're listening to this podcast and have never accepted Christ as your Savior, we would love nothing more than to help show you how you can have your eternity settled and begin your relationship with God. Feel free to visit us in person or online at frbc.com for more information. Now let's see what God has for us from His Word today. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the notorious 1 Corinthians 7. You need to pray for me as I work my way through this chapter. And um, it's here in the Bible, so we're just going to do it tonight. We're going to hit it running. They're wide open. How about that? And then I'm going to give you some application at the end. So if you think the preacher's hurrying, you're right, because I want to get to the end of this thing. But um, I may believe that all of God's Word is inspired, and the preacher is supposed to handle all the oracles of God. And so First uh, Corinthians 7, while, while you're turning, we're in a series right now entitled Unmovable. This is part eight in that series. And um, I was just sitting over there thinking about some things that I was thankful for as Brother Kramer was, was praying. And uh, I am thankful that our church took the step back in the uh, late spring to purchase the property next door to us. We paid a lot of money for that piece of property. And the church deacons voted unanimous to do that. The church voted unanimous to purchase it. We bought it, uh, and they, they took the, the price we offered, which was many, many years in the making. And uh, right now we have the property cleared off, and I'm not, I just, I'm not ready to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to build another, build another parking lot. I think we're, we're covered there right now. But I will tell you that, and we're going to sow grass over there, and all of that, but I will tell you that that just opened up uh, the visibility for this church like nothing I ever dreamed. And so, as far as what we paid for the property, we've got we've got a, a quarter of a million dollars worth of or more of, of visibility there. And tonight, as I was coming in, my wife and I, that's just all lit up. It used to be as you were going west on 96 that you were on top of the church before you actually could see the church, and most people didn't know. Uh, it just goes back back in there so far. And so I am thankful for what God has allowed us to have here. And I want you to be as well. And I want you to pray about this place. It would not hurt if some of you maybe are coming from town or going into town uh, to pull off and just drive around the property and, and pray a hedge of protection about this place. You don't want to do that at 8 o'clock and 3 o'clock. That would be sinful. <laughs> You'll never get where you're going because that's when school is taken up and letting out and all of that. But, you know, sometime through the day, if you're coming through here, you ought to stop and pray and uh, ask God to protect us. I need, I need the people of this church to pray a hedge of protection about this church. Of all the years I've pastored here, um, going on 22 years now, the devil has fought harder the past 18 months than he has ever fought. But then in many ways, God is blessed like he's never blessed. And I'm thankful for that. And I, I, don't, I don't want to ever 
take any of that for granted. And I always want you to know that we have an enemy that hates what we do here. And he keeps things stirred up all the time. And I'm not going to have you stand because what we're going to do tonight is we're going to work our way through this passage of Scripture. Whenever you're uh, taking a book like this, uh, this there's uh, 40 verses in this particular chapter. Once I get into it, you're going to see why I want to get through this and move to the next one. It is not any less important, but it covers some very difficult, not controversial at all. In fact, it's clear cut. I mean, just right to the point, but it covers uh, areas that are sometimes difficult for folks. And I want to go ahead and say this tonight. I, as, I, as I read the first few verses to get us started, I don't want you worrying about me getting in, down into the deep woods with this because this is stuff that should be taught at marriage retreats. That's why we have 90 going to that. There are times when you can pull your husbands and wives away from the, the general congregation and you can teach these truths to them. But all of us should want... Uh, for, for our kids and our grandkids, what the Bible teaches on these subjects. We should all want that. And so we understand, like any other doctrinal subject, that God puts, he puts the premier goal out there. And then we're sinners. We do our best to reach that goal and, and do what's right in that. I think as we read through this, you'll find from time to time, maybe, that there's an area that you might check up on a little bit. But nevertheless, I'm not teaching it because of that. I'm teaching it because these issues are very real in our world. How many understand that our world is, is going rapidly to, toward paganism? I mean, quick. And um, so let's, let's begin by reading uh, the first seven verses, and then we'll just kind of take this thing sections at a time. I have seven points that sounds like a lot, but you've never seen a preacher move so fast, okay? Let's look at verse number one. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, in another place, by the way, he said flee fornication. Um, let uh, every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. Likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband. Likewise, also the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent or an agreement between each other for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. In other words, your lack of self-control. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment, for I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner, and another after that. And uh, I want to talk on this subject for a while tonight, common questions about marriage. Common questions about marriage. Father, bless your word, please, and teach us, Lord, to cast what is being taught in the culture that Paul was writing under inspiration. That doesn't take away, Lord, and help us understand any of the truth for our culture is becoming identical to the Corinthian culture. Help us to understand and seek understanding tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I have a lengthy introduction tonight. It is obvious that the leadership 
of the church there in Corinth had written a letter to the apostle regarding marriage and the common circumstances that can develop in a marriage relationship. He says in verse number one, now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me. A little background, a little reminder of the background of this book. In Paul's day, the worth of a woman was priceless. In other words, um, men loved women and women loved men back in those days. And her worth was priceless for many reasons, maybe not for the same reasons today. For instance, um, the repopulation of the earth, for military might, for agricultural work to have children and all of that. So the, the worth was priceless in many ways. But the treatment of a woman was often unpleasant. And Christianity came to Corinth. This changed a lot of things and corrected things. The Roman Empire held great influence in the civilized world. And their view of marriage was basically monogamous, and that is a good thing. However, wives were treated as property, and there was little emphasis on love and appreciation in the marriage. Worse than that was the culture. The Corinthian culture, as we have already stated, being Corinth being a seaport town for two oceans, was a melting pot for paganism and all of the perversion and promiscuity that went along with that. As you may remember, in our introduction, Corinth was the location of the temple of the goddess Diana, which was nothing less than a huge regional brothel. The Corinthian believers were saved out of this lifestyle of wickedness. We taught on just a few weeks ago. If you'll turn back one page at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, let me read again what the apostles said to them. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, and by the way, that word means exactly what it says, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, which by the way, today, our State Department issued its first non-gender passport. I was just in California. The pastor there said they have 57 different genders in California that you can put on a birth certificate. In California, it is illegal in a toy department to put boys' toys and girls' toys in separate locations. I digress. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And again, we accent this, verse 11, and such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Turn back now to chapter 7. What we have here is Christians in Corinth backsliding and going back out into this world in, what, in, in that which we just read in those forms of sin. And the first thing, of course, to go in many of these sins was the sanctity of marriage. When you involve yourself in fornication and adultery and becoming effeminate and abusers, abusing yourself with mankind and so forth, this, these sins affect marriages directly. And so they're backsliding and marriage is out the window. And Paul is addressing this. The persecution on these new saints was enormous. And most of their acquaintances and neighbors 
and co-workers that were not Christians, they had horrible marriage relationships. You know, same is true today. Just because you're born again doesn't mean that you work with born again people. And the things that they go through in their marriages and just the cheating and all that that goes on uh, can affect you. Uh, with no one to lead them in this in the Corinthian church, with the apostle gone, things went south quickly and homes were beginning to disintegrate. All of this spawned many questions coming from this church to the apostle. Most believe that the apostle Paul never married. So he gives instruction on the subject from the Lord by inspiration. There are times throughout this section that he interjects some opinion as well. But regardless, you and I must know that even it appears as though he says, I speak now uh, not by the Lord, but, but myself. When he makes statements like that, he's being true. But it made it into your Bible. And because what he says made it into your Bible, it is no less inspired. So don't let any theologian or some preacher say, well, that's just what Paul thought, but that's not what God meant. No, 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 no. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so we can't let people pick and choose that. Now, this is a very interesting chapter in the Bible. We could just skip over it, which I would just love to do tonight. But this world is so full of disinformation and bad information about marriage that maybe someone better find out what God thinks. And so tonight, I'm going to move through the chapter quickly, and then I want to give some current thoughts at the end, and all of you can breathe a sigh of relief when we get there, all right? I've got seven things. I'm going to give them to you real fast. I'm not going to elaborate on a lot of them, but I'm going to trust you to take your Bible and go home and study this. And uh, if you go to commentaries, go to commentaries that are trusted, all right? Number one, write this down, avoid fornication, verses 1 through 7. Uh, the word avoid there in your King James Bible, if you look at that, is italics. That means that it was provided as the King James writers put that in there, but it's no less inspired. So avoid sounds like a soft word, but in context, he earlier said, flee, get away from it, just like Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife. And so that's what, when fornication raises its head in any form, uh, maybe it's some, somebody at work, somebody at school, somebody in your neighborhood, it may be pornography, it may be something that comes up on your computer, you need to run from it. Is everybody with me right now? All right. Fornication and adultery were not even considered sin in Corinth. And it's not today either. Hollywood treats it as just part of life. Our public education treats it as part of life. I challenge you maybe to go to Tom, Todd Starnes' website and see some of the material that they're putting in public schools right now. It's wicked. It would make the Corinthians blush. And kids are being taught this unless parents take control. And by the way, I'm happy to see parents taking the control of their school boards right now. They have the right to take control of their school boards. They elected them. All right. So here Paul gives uh, some rules to avoid it. He doesn't just say it. He gives some rules. There are six of them. Uh, you won't have time to probably jot these down, uh, but I'll, I'll go running. If you can write fast, maybe you can get them. First of all, rule number one, a married man should not touch a woman. No questions asked. And I'm not going to get into detail about that, but if you haven't figured out why God put that in the Bible, you need to sue your brain for non-support. 
Number two, their romantic relationship is to be exclusive. In verse number two, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Again, I'm not going to go into the original Greek and the detail about this, but the word have used in context uh, is talking about uh, the romantic part of your marriage. And so the romantic relationship is to be exclusive, and the accent is on the word have. Number three, both husband and wife should render due benevolence to each other. Again, if you can't figure that one out, and by the way, I love the way the Bible protects language and does not become graphic. Some of you may uh, attend some marriage retreat somewhere in the name of God, and the speaker gets graphic. There's never a time for that. The Bible doesn't do that. And the Bible takes in consideration. We're all, adult, all adults, and we can figure things out. And the Bible teaches us here that their bodies of the husband and wife belong to each other. Listen to me. When you get married, you become one flesh in God's eyes. And so there's no dictatorship here, and uh, God works this with the husband submitting the wife, wife submitting the husband. And the Lord, of course, the submission of the wife in other areas of duty, there's a specific command about that in Ephesians. Number four, they should not defraud each other or deprive each other of their relationship, that romantic relationship, except during times of prayer and fasting for spiritual power. Now, you ought to take note right here of that, that God would take something that is pure and wholesome in, in marriage and put something, one of the most spiritual things that you can do is pray and fast. That's a good thing. And so we understand that the scripture is not being graphic here at all. It's just saying that the husband and wife should not defraud or deprive each other of each other. And let me just stop and say this, that, that all marriages should always work on the relation part or the romantic part or, or loving each other. You should always work on it. Never stop working on that. Number five, uh, both should understand that Satan tempts every marriage. Both should understand that Satan tempts every marriage. Look at the last part of verse 5. That say, here's why we do this. That Satan tempts you not for your incontinency. That means your lack of self-control. Typically, when marriages get sideways is whenever the wife or the husband loses their self-control and their marriage vows and their promise to each other. And so, uh, don't throw yourself into the snare of the devil in this way. Number six, your marriage is a gift from God. You ever thought about that? Look what he says in verse number seven. For I would that all men were, were even as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, uh, one after this manner, another after that manner. And he is uh, speaking of the fact that your marriage is a gift from God. I feel that way, and I'm thankful for the years that we've been married, uh, 43 years, and um, uh, I'm, I'm so thankful for my dear wife. And so your marriage is a gift from God. Now, in this verse, Paul chose to remain unmarried. He felt it best for him. We talked about this some when we studied the book of Acts. Paul gives his thoughts about this in this chapter. Look at verse 32. Now, this may appear uh, strong. He's not trying to be funny here. He's just explaining why he did not marry. He's explaining why a lot of folks don't, don't marry. And by the way, he just said, each has a proper, proper gift. Some choose to marry, some choose not to marry. That's no one else's business. We should never uh, push a young man or push a young lady. Uh, 
in that. God's, ti God's timing is perfect. Could I get a little small amen right there? By the way, it's better to want something you don't have than to have something you don't want. And so the pressure is put on by God. Look what he says in verse 35. You're going to love, verse uh, 32. You're going to love this. But I would have you without carefulness. Um, he that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord and how to please the Lord. Now stop. That does not mean a married person doesn't. If you stick with him, he's going to explain what he means. But he that is married careth for the things uh, that are of the world, how he may please his wife. And by the way, this is reciprocal and vice versa. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And so... Uh, <laughs> I look at verse 35, and this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that, and that we may attend upon the Lord without distraction. However, the Lord works it out for you. And so Paul was kind of taken up for the fact that he chose not to marry, and there women choose not to marry, men choose not to marry. It's none of our business. Whether married or unmarried, it is to be considered a gift from God. Is everybody okay right now? All right, relax. We got through the tough part. Number two, write this down. Number one, avoid fornication. Number two, a widow or a widower is free to marry. A widow or a widower is free to marry. Verse seven, I say therefore unto the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. In other words, if they don't marry. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Now, what that means, you're not going to burn in hell, it means that uh, they may re remain single or they may choose to marry. And the, the key reason for choosing to marry is that they have a passion or they become, they, they, they fall in love with another person. And that is okay. And that is covered uh, some in Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. You may look at that a little later on. But a widow or widower is free to remarry. And number three, the married are to stay married. I like that one. The married are to stay married. Verse 10, and unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. Again, these are reciprocal passages. But if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. But the rest I speak, uh, I speak not uh, the Lord. <clears throat> if thy brother, I'll, I'll get that in just a minute. I'm running ahead of myself. Verses 10, 11, number, uh, number three, the married are to stay married. If separation occurs, circle this word, reconciliation should be attempted, okay? Whenever two people split up, the first thing that should occur, everybody should seek reconciliation between the two. You don't need to walk up to them and say, glad you got rid of that guy, glad you got rid of that woman. No, 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 no. A Christian should come alongside and help them try to reconcile. The phrase put away means divorce. And it should be avoided at all costs. Look at verse number 39. <clears throat> verse number 39, again, the reciprocal passage. The wife is bound by law as long as her husband liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is li at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment. And I think also that I have the Spirit of God. <laughs> again, he's taken up for himself. He never married. And he was saying, if a husband dies or, or wife dies or whatever, he said, you can remarry. But uh, he said, uh, you know, I think it would be better to stay, stay not marry. 
I, I don't know about that. I'm, I'm married and I'm happy about that. And uh, I plan on being married till I die. So <clears throat> number three, then the married should stay married. Number four rules regarding an unsaved spouse. What do you do when you get married and you marry an unequal yoke or you, uh, you get married and you get saved and your spouse doesn't. All right, there are rules about that. Um, God has an opinion. Verse 12. But the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife, again, reciprocal passage. And what I mean by that is if it talks about the man toward the wife, the same is true with the wife toward the man. Has everybody got that? Okay. So, but the rest I speak, I not, if, if any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And again, the phrase put away is the Greek word for, for phrase for divorce. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the, and here's why. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and vice versa, and the unbelieving wife sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, and now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God hath called us to peace. And so the idea behind this is they may leave you because they don't want to be married to a saved person, that's on them. Has everybody got me right now? All right. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband, or, what, or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save or win your wife to the Lord? All right. Let me give you this quickly here. Uh, rules regarding the unsaved spouse. Staying together brings hope for an unsaved spouse. Some illustration. In the Old Testament, Ruth was won over by her husband. He died, and uh, Naomi took Ruth under her wing. But what if they had not, even though they were away from the Lord when they went down out of the land of, of, of Israel, they were away from the Lord, but they knew the Lord. What if, what if uh, they had not known the Lord? Uh, also, it could well be said that both Moses and Joseph were influential in seeing their wives converted. And then the statement is made here about the children. What's that all about? All right. When a, when a spouse is one is saved and one's unsaved, staying together in the marriage is beneficial for the children. Uh, just e if even one parent is saved, it gives the children hope. That child has a gospel witness in the home. So if you can stay together, you ought to stay together for the benefit of the child. For instance, young Timothy could have well been a recipient of this arrangement, having a godly mother and grandmother, and we do not know of the salvation condition of, uh, of Timothy's father. And so if it's true that he was never saved, uh, this lady, because she stayed with Timothy's father, uh, won him to Christ. And so he was, of course, saved in one of Paul's meetings, but grandma and mama was there, and thank God for that. So there are rules uh, regarding this particular thing. Number five, circumcision is not required for any man in marriage. Again, verses 17 through 20, uh, some will teach that verses 17 through 24, which covers servanthood or, or slavery and circumcision, uh, has to do with more the call of God. But the entire chapter is dedicated to marriage and relationship. So there is a call to peace, as we already read, a call to marriage. I think that God puts people together. 
Uh, I'm a pastor. I believe that. I think that God has somebody for everybody. And I think that God brings people together. And when you say yes and his marriage vows, we're supposed to stay together. However, uh, this is being covered here. I don't read all this for the sake. I'm just going to hit it running. But if a, if a Gentile uh, married a Jew or vice versa, uh, there is no requirement for that person to be circumcised. And here's what he says. Look at verse 19. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. And so we understand we're not saved by the law. Aren't you glad it's pretty much adults in here? Now you know why our teenagers are over here and kids are over here. Okay, it's in the Bible, so we're teaching it. And so uh, secondly, in verses 21 through 24, a servant could marry a non-servant. Every now and then, uh, a girl would fall in love with a boy that was a slave uh, in these days, and vice versa. Uh, a, a boy could fall in love with a girl that was, a, that was someone's slave or housekeeper or whatever, and they were allowed to marry. You didn't split up because there were two classes, and, 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 and class, uh, whatever they call that, not class warfare, but division of classes was big in Rome. You had the wealthy and you had the poor. There was no middle class. And so sometimes those things happen. And parents would step in and not let them be together. And God says, okay. And he uses this phrase, we're all bought with a price as Christians. We're all servants of Christ anyway. And we are to abide with God in marriage. When two people marry, they're abiding or they're tabernacling, 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 Anyway, they're dwelling with the Lord. How about that? Number seven. It is 753. We are moving on. How about this? Number seven. A father should be careful not to hold back his daughter from marriage. Again, verses 36 through 38. And we've covered most everything in this. Uh, but uh, a father uh, cannot, is not to have a daughter and hold her back past the flower of her age he is supposed to let her loose to marry, but in the Lord. And so, uh, number seven, we should be careful about that. I don't think that's a big problem today. Now, okay, we're done with that. We could go back and exposit this verse by verse, but I would lose half of you, and most of this doesn't even apply to some of you, okay? But there are rules about marriage. Now, I want to give you one, two, three, four, five, six things, all right? I want you to jot these down quickly. Number one, we are to marry in the Lord. Verse 39, it says in this one situation when they're allowed to marry, they can marry, but only in the Lord. The Bible talks about, uh, Paul taught the Corinthians about the unequal yoke. So there are times when people get married and the spouse is unsaved and we just gave rules about that, okay? You can win your husband, you can win your wife by your lifestyle, and that's the goal. That's happened many times here in this church, okay? Uh, but when we go into marriage, we should go into marriage, both people saved. The first thing I ask a couple when they come to talk to me is, are both of you born again? And I ask them to give their testimony. It's very important. Number two, jot this one down. Marriage is a picture of Christ. Marriage is a picture of Christ. The reason God puts uh, rules down for marriage relationship, not just here, but also over in Ephesians, the reason God puts these rules down is because it's a picture of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ, and the church is to remain pure, and that's why uh, these rules are laid down. Does everybody understand that? God's not trying 
to be ugly or hard to get along with. But when Jesus Christ comes into the life of a person, old things are supposed to pass away. Behold, all things become new. And they do. But what the Corinthians were doing is they were going back out into the world. And I want you to understand as your pastor, the same pressure that was on the Corinthians is on you folks today. And if you're not careful, you'll do the same thing. And I want to encourage you that your marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. Number three, to attack the church, Satan attacks marriage. Would you write that down and never forget it? To attack this church, Satan attacks marriages. Look at verse number five, last part. It says, uh, uh, and come together again that Satan tempts you not for your incontinency. Now he's talking about feelings and emotions and so forth. How does Satan attack a marriage? He does so through the feelings and emotions that spouses have for each other. That's why it, uh, Ephesians talks about let not the sun go down your wrath. It talks about being kind to each other. It talks about how a husband should be willing to die for his wife and how a wife should love the husband, submit the husband. There are roles and there are relationships that have to do with a marriage that keeps the emotions and the feelings right. When the feelings and emotions are not right in a marriage, Satan gets his foot in the door. I wish I had time to drive this home. If this was a marriage retreat right here, I would drive this home. Satan is trying to get a wedge. He's trying to get a foothold in the church but the way he does it is through the marriages, through families. Just about every time. And so because of that, I, I, wanna, I want you to know that. The pressure is on the pastor. And the pastor takes the pressure. And I wish you understood that statement is not a trite statement. Because I'm a human being, and my wife is a human being, just like everybody else in here, we know how to hurt. We know how to carry the load and carry the burden of not just our family and our loved ones, but this church family. I don't say that to get you to feel sorry for me because I'm a shepherd. That's what I do. But it's not easy. But we need to put the shoe on the other foot because Satan comes after you to come after this church. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? This is the application. Why does he put this in here? It gives me number four. Number four. It was the backsliding of the Corinthian Christians that necessitated this chapter. It was the backsliding of the Corinthian Christians that necessitated this chapter. What did he put it in there for? Because that's what people were doing. Why is it still in there? Because it's inspired. Why did God inspire it and leave it in there for 2021? Because God knew they'd be doing the same thing in 2021. And so this is for all of us. This is not archaic gibberish that doesn't matter. All of this stuff matters. And so uh, we should pay closer attention to our marriages than ever before. And I mean that. I mean that. I think that my wife and, I, and myself, I think we work at our marriage every day. And I don't mean we sit down and say, well, how can I make that fella happy? How can I make that girl happy? I don't, boy, I don't, I don't mean that. I mean 
True love wants to encourage the person that they love. And so most marriages are in maintenance mode, and they just go through all the motions, and things get dry and cold and all of that. And I want to challenge you. You need to work on this thing. Do something uh, spontaneous, not, not crazy. You know, I'm just saying, uh, you bring her home some flowers every now and then and, and have the uh, nitroglycerin tablets available when she has, uh, goes into cardiac arrest or something. Um, there may be something you can do for him that, that would be a blessing as well. Just be kind to each other. Compliment each other. Just be kind. Uh, number five or six or whatever, God has a will in this matter of marriage and relationships. God has a will about this. God has goals he wants us to shoot for. And he leaves his will for us and his principles about marriage in the Bible. Follow those principles for having marriage. You cannot afford to be selfish in your marriage. If one of you just, if one of you just gets the place where you say, well, she don't respond, he don't respond, I'm done, I'm fried, I'm, I'm just going to do my thing. You just, neither one of you have a right to say that. Did you know that? Yeah, I know you say, you're thinking, you don't know what he did. No, I don't. You don't know what she did. No, I don't. I just know people, and you know people. And can I say here, the Bible says that we belong to each other. Now, you've heard me say this, so I'll say it again. And one of these days, I'm going to find a pair if I have to take two parents home together. Can two walk together except they be agreed? No. I like to get a big old pair of size 60 uh, overhauls and put the man. You ever seen them real big ones? It's got the big legs. Put the man down in one leg. Put the lady down in the other leg. Have them put their arms around each other. Put one gussip up on that little girl. Put the other gussip, gussip up on that, uh, that man and just say, now, walk. You're one flesh. Now, how me understand, think this thing through, that if they worked at it, they could walk. That little girl kicked him little feet going. And then that fella, I just see him over there, you know, dragging her along. <laughs> That's how marriage is supposed to work every single day. And uh, it, it can get fun and interesting and exciting. And I'm thankful for that. God has a will in this marriage. And lastly, God does not want us to view marriage as the unsaved world views it. He addresses that at the very beginning. God does not want us to view marriage as the unsaved world views it. We should always get our standard for marriage and the home from the Bible. Most people get their standard for marriage from Hollywood, and you're making a terrible mistake. A terrible mistake. Some of you get your ideas for marriage from maybe romance books or some other type of... of uh, periodical or whatever i don't know what people read but i'm going to tell you this if you're reading the state of the bible just the new testament there's a lot of good things in the old testament men of god in the old testament knew how to treat their treat their wives men of god did go look at uh what what was what ruth's wife's husband's name 
Not Mike, he's sitting over there. Boaz, Boaz. And uh, you know what? Yeah, you've heard that joke. Before he got married, he was ruthless, though. But after he got married, he was... You can, you can find out how to take care of your spouse just by reading the Bible. A lot of good stuff in there. You can also find out how to mistreat your spouse by reading the Bible. Let's bow our heads and stand together, please. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Marriage is a picture of Christ in the church, the bride of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I enjoy being a Christian. I'm so thankful that I'm saved. And uh, God wants that same enjoyment in that marriage. You know one thing that I like about my salvation? I never worry about being unsaved. This is what I'm saying. I never worry about being unsaved. Because I'm in Christ's hand. Christ is in God's hand. And no man has ever plucked me from my Father's hand. Listen to me now. That should be the same feeling in every marriage. That woman should never be afraid of you walking away. That man should never be afraid of you walking away from him. Father, tonight, help us, please, as families in this church. And I realize I'm talking to husbands and wives in, in, in the vast part of this, but even for the, those that their spouses have gone to be with you, may they recall those sweet days. And may they want those for our young people. And for those in here, maybe their marriage has failed somewhere. May they be thankful for your forgiveness. As he said in the scriptures, some of those situations were not their fault. And I pray you'll help us to be thankful that you're always there for us. Like a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And tonight, as we pause for a moment of invitation, I pray you'll bless this moment. In Jesus' name, I pray.